Well, hey, how are you? You guys are in for it today. You're in for a treat. You're getting four 30-minute sermons today as opposed to just one. So buckle up. Just kidding. Relax. Uh, no, it's okay. Pastors are always late. Right, Hanny? <laughs> nothing. Nothing. Uh, we have something special for you guys today. I'm really, really excited for it. Um, you know, we've been in this series on relationships for about five weeks now. I think we've got uh, four more to go. And today we're talking about conflict. And the, one of the things that we don't necessarily love to not just talk about, but to partake in, yet it is one of those things that is inevitably going to come up in all of our relationships at some point or another. And so uh, I thought it would be great to have a few different perspectives on what conflict is and what um, and how we can either change it or address it in each one of our lives. And so in order to do that, in order to have some conversation about uh, conflict and to look at some different perspectives, and I'll introduce our panels, panel members uh, in a moment, I want to give us some context for what we're talking about. Uh, I want to give a gospel and biblical context for what I mean when I talk about conflict, or at least uh, what I hope that we're going to discuss a little bit today. And so I, I want to read two scriptures for you. One is the what, and the other is kind of like the how. And then I hope that you'll see that perspective and be able to use that as a filter for some of the conversations that we're about to have. So this is 2 Corinthians 5, starting at verse 16. It says, as followers of Christ, stop evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view, but how differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a gift from God, and get this, who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sin against him. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. And so we, as people, were once enemies of God, if we can put it that way. We have Almighty God, Sovereign Lord, who is our creator. And we, time and time again, were disobedient to that. And so God gave us a way to be able to be reconciled to him through his son, Jesus. And so we, who were once enemies, were reconciled. To God. So that is the what. We were in conflict with God, and then we were reconciled unto him. So that's kind of the what. This is the how. This is Romans 12. Bless those who persecute you. Ouch. We are in conflict with someone. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. 
Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think that you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. And get this, do all that you can, do all that you can to live in peace with everybody. That's the how. And so here's what I want us not just to maybe walk away with a little bit, but here is the filter I want us to understand as we uh, hear about conflict from a few different perspectives. It's this, is that it is your job when it comes to conflict to seek reconciliation, not resolution. Seek reconciliation in your conflicts, not resolution. Because we have a lot of conversations, a lot of tensions, a lot of conflicts in our lives, in our culture, who all we want to do is make sure that our opinion, our thought, our expression, our perspective becomes the right one or the correct one in someone else's life. And we spend a lot of energy on that very thing when a biblical narrative of conflict is more about reconciliation to our brothers and our sisters and ultimately to Jesus than to find resolution. Let me pray for us. Dear Jesus, we just ask that you would open our ears and our hearts and our minds as you always do to hear from you today. We may differ on some opinions, we may differ on some thoughts, but God, ultimately may we all be reconciled to the person of Jesus through what we are going to talk about this morning. In Jesus' name, we all agreed and said... Amen. Here with me, uh, I've got some friends uh, who are going to, I hope, share some varied um, perspectives on conflict. First, we have uh, Hanny Branscombe. He is a part of our board. He is also a retired pastor. I can say retired, right? He's still doing stuff. You never retire when you're in ministry. Um, uh, He's also loves to work with his hands and does great carpentry work. He is a big part of getting our outpost off the ground. Uh, But Hanny's also a husband and a father and a grandfather. And I think there are some unique perspectives within that, both in ministry and family connections. Next is Kyle Brunton. Uh, He has also served at Uh, on our board at a time. He is an HR exec for Greenfield. And so he knows how to hire, fire, and sire. Uh, And so he... There are some vocational perspectives when it comes to conflict if you are an HR rep that I'm sure he has come up upon at some point or another that I think would be really unique for our conversation today, especially for those of you who are deep in business or the workforce. And finally, Julia Woido is a a psychotherapist here in town, also a member of our church, and I think that there are some very unique psychological perspectives that we can gain from a therapist. And having gone through a really weird ministry crisis in my own life at one time, I can say that therapy is fantastic and we should all be in it at some point or another. There's a big plug for you right there. Um, I truly mean that. I'm not saying that as a joke. Uh, That is a huge part of why Catherine and I continue to be in ministry today. And so I think that there's a very unique perspective that we can Uh, gain from her as well this morning. I am just here to ask questions and start fights. So here we go. 
let's, let's start off easy. Um, what to you is conflict? Like what, what is going on in our hearts and minds or both internally, externally? Like what is conflict? Who, anyone can start. Anyone can start. What is conflict to you and in your perspective? I have a very simple definition. Um, it can be parts of um, within us or ourselves and another person are landing in a different place on a certain issue. And that seems to be an opposition at the time. Um, I guess I see it as competing priorities. Like two people would have a position which results in conflict. And either they choose to avoid or deal with that situation. So. Yeah. Uh, I would think of uh, James chapter 4, verse 1, that says, What causes quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the desires that whelm up within you? And it goes on from there. So I would say it, the, the source of differences and eventually conflict, possibly, comes from the very center of our heart. What we want Oh, that's good. So uh, these are all followers of Jesus um, here on stage with me. And so let's put this in the perspective of Jesus. When you guys think about Jesus and his ministry on earth, what are some of the conflicts that sometimes he even placed himself into? What are some of the stories? What are some of the narratives that you think about when you think about Jesus tackling conflict? I think one of the first things that uh, when I read the the question you had was, I, I thought of Matthew chapter 23, where he called the Pharisees, you brood of vipers. Uh, it seems to me that was, uh, from my perspective, I would have a hard time saying that to somebody, but I think he was recognizing the hypocrisy that was going on in there. And he was, he was aiming at that. I think in many ways his heart was for the Pharisees to have them change. Anybody else? So I think um, in Jesus' life he had many examples of conflict that he dealt with. And I think mm -hmm. of with Judas and Peter um, mm -hmm. who deceived him and, and ultimately uh, led to his death. Um, Jesus leaned into that. Like he actually called it out. He didn't step away from it. He leaned in and said, one of you will betray me. He spoke it out, and he, with grace, forgave them and said, you know, regardless of what you do, I will forgive you. So, and Jesus defined himself. He, he knew what he stood for. He was courageous in that. He, he basically said, this is who I am. This is what I'm here for. This is what I stand for. And he never wavered from that. And he didn't mm -hmm. um, manipulate or coerce or force anybody. He just did what he did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, when I um, think about that question, what comes to mind is how I talk to clients often about their controlled use of power and using a clean power um, and varying the intensity with tenderheartedness and politeness um, and that each situation will um, require something different of us. And so one example from scripture that comes to mind is from John chapter 4. Um, then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. 
They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, the, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. It's an interesting approach to a conflict. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And then a different approach here. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. So we see this variance of um, his controlled use of power and his, um, in combination with tenderheartedness as needed. That's great. So good. Um, there, uh, I'm just speaking maybe on behalf of our, our staff for a moment, but there, as a staff, we have lots of different characters, um, a lot of personalities. Some of us um, don't like conflict at all. And then some of us are like, great, send them my way. Um, I, Desiree and I often joke, like, she's like, oh, I just want to avoid this conflict. I'm like, great, send them to me. Like, I am willing to go our free rounds if I ha absolutely have to. I'll do it. Um, are there good or bad, I guess, characteristics of that, um, of those who avoid conflict altogether or those who are just like, bring it on, let's go? Like, are, is, there a, is there healthy... Is there anything healthy in either of those methods, either taking it on or leaving it alone altogether? So I think in, in that perspective, either will generate conflict. So someone who avoids will obviously avoid talking about it, will generate someone who has more intensity to want to challenge. Um, and someone who's always looking for the fight will generate conflict everywhere. So if you look on that spectrum, the avoidance to collaboration in the middle, there's the compromise piece. And I think regardless of what your position is, we need to get to that point of compromise. We need to get to the point where we both have been heard, we both have our positions, we've, we've both been understood, and we get to a point that we can both um, be in a position where we, we agree, right? Um, so I would say neither one is good. Um, I would say avoidance tends to generate a lot more conflict than dealing with it directly in the moment. But someone who is an avoider also needs the permission and the time to um, step back and, and reflect and think and, and deal with it too. Yeah, from a personality standpoint, um, I think about individuals who lean toward the avoidance or the politeness of doing conflict um, often are conscientious in their word choices. Um, and they may be um, you know, well attuned to the other in terms of um, how to approach them and um, deliver messages that are hard to deliver. Um, and um, they, they may be after finding harmony and commonality um, in the situation. Um, the benefits of having individuals who um, have a personality type that are okay going into difficult conversations, um, they are being vulnerable and saying, here's where I stand on this, and this is what's going on with me, and they show their hand, right, so that others can also do the same, so that they can um, maybe 
um, shed some light and different perspective on issues. Um, and I think, you know, these people who are able to go into um, these difficult conversations are a healthy antidote to some echo chambers we have in our culture right now. Um, for example, on social media where the algorithms allow us to um, see and hear only those um, voices that align with our own. And so people who um, have no problem going, hey, but what about this? Um, we really need those people, so thank you. <laughs> I think of Ecclesiastes where it says, uh, for everything there is a time. And there's a time for speaking, there's a time to zip the lip. And I, th I think sometimes, at least I'll say in my marriage, sometimes it gets better for me to zip my lip. What are you laughing at? <laughs> um, and uh, things go better sometimes that way. <laughs> No, that's good. You probably should. What about one of the things we often hear said in our culture is probably a quote about avoiding conflict, which is, well, let's just agree to disagree. Is that, is that healthy? And I'd love to hear from each one of your perspectives on is agree to disagree, because I feel, I feel like that could be helpful sometimes and not another. Um, and so either from psychologically, is that helpful, from vocationally, is that helpful, um, and maybe even from the standpoint of being not just a pastor, who have probably seen a lot of conflict, but as a father and as a husband and as a grandfather, is, it, is agree to disagree in your perspective, um, always, is it helpful or not helpful or sometimes helpful? I don't know. Or is it just a way for us to, uh, is it helpful in the sense that is it for us to either avoid a resolution or uh, to not get to the bottom of something? I think you have to weigh the issues. It's, it, I don't think there's a simple answer. Sometimes there's, there can be, I'll say, use the word moral in a broad sense, a moral issues that are involved. Sometimes there's biblical principles involved. Uh, sometimes there are commitment levels that are involved. There's so many varied things that you can't, I don't think you can say there's a one answer fits it all. I think it has to be varied depending on, on what specifically you're talking about. Uh, in my experience, agree to disagree, I don't think it even is possible, right? Because if we get to the point where we agree that we're going to disagree, we still have a position and we're still coming from the point of, I still have something that's unresolved. I still have something that I don't believe is correct or right, and I'm always going to hold on to that. So if we always have that point of disagreement, we'll never get to that moving on phase or that collaboration or even um, compromise phase, right? Um, with, um, so I'm often talking about conflict in terms of um, relationships and friends and families, so um, it's important to understand and accept uh, that being human means that we are differentiated from others. That means um, we have an I stance. I have thoughts and feelings and experiences my, in my life that are different from everybody in this room. Therefore, it makes sense that I will land in a different place on many topics with everybody in this room. Um, so we, we must accept that we're 
we will disagree on things. We will disagree on many things, and that that's okay. And particularly healthy um, when their opinions and point of view, because everyone has experiences and information to offer um, others, so that we can see more clearly, perhaps. Right. So, um, so that concept of differentiation, I think, is is important to mention today and to hold in our minds um, that. If we want the respect of having our eye position, that we respect the other to have their eye position. We validate that their lives have, have happened in a way that they've landed where they've landed for all those reasons. Some we are aware of and a lot of them are not. Um, so I'll say that. And then um, from a healthy relationship standpoint, Dr. Henry Cloud talks about, okay, who in your life is safe? Who's a safe person in your life and who's a not safe person in your life? So this is helpful for us to distinguish when um, we don't agree to disagree because of the harm that is potentially happening in the relationship. So um, if the person, um, you know, attempts and manipulates information and we get confused about our eye stance, that's not okay, and so we set up firm boundaries. Um, we are disagreeing that this relationship is is not for us. Can, can I add one more thing? I, Absolutely I, not. Next. Okay. Uh, we, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think also it's, it's important for us to clarify when we're in conflict, because what we perceive to be something that they're thinking and what they are thinking and what they're saying can be totally two different things. So to find out really what's going on is, is part, of the, part of the whole deal. That's very good. Um, Julia, maybe your perspective can speak to this most, but can we be so emotionally involved in a conflict that we can't see the issues clearly? Has that ever happened? Um, yes, that's a great question. <laughs> Um, yes, absolutely. More often than not, maybe <laughs> approaching always. <laughs> um, so uh, the Gottmans um, are a couple who happen to be married, and um, they are marriage therapists as well as researchers. And they've researched this heavily, and they've come up with this term of flooding. It's a helpful term, so we can get flooded with an emotion. Um, and we might call that, now I'm in my emotion mind. And therefore, I'm not connected to uh, my prefrontal cortex, which is our problem-solving higher-order thinking. I've disconnected from that because now I'm only attached to my emotions, and my emotions are attached, attached to past memories. So that's why it's easy when you're in conflict, if you're angry, that you're able to rhyme off a lot of wrongdoings that this person has <laughs> done to you because you're in that part of your brain. You have access to all of, all of that information quickly. Um, and so, yes, our, our, if we um, have not done the work to process the feeling on our own, to um, um, have our problem-solving, higher-order, rational thinking back online. Also, it's important to remember that that is our ability to empathize with another person and take another perspective. So, um, yes, emotion can get in the way. It's not something to avoid. 
<laughs> it, they are signals to pay attention to, but that we do the internal work, we process what that might mean so that we can um, communicate a position um, with both our thoughts and our feelings in place. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah. All right, let's, let's give maybe a, a personal story from each one of you. It doesn't have to be like very specific, but has there ever been a time where you have been in a conflict, whether it's vocational or ministerial or familial, whatever, um, where you prayed to Jesus about a response and Jesus was like, I'm sorry, but you're wrong in this time. Has there ever been a, a time where you could think? <laughs> How many times do you want? <laughs> You're all perfect. Great. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll take this one. I probably have a long list. No. Um, I can think of an example during COVID. So when things were locked down, we went from normal face-to-face -face meetings where someone would walk down the hallway and have a conversation to now we're emailing, texting, Skyping, Teamsing, whatever the term for Teams is, um, like video calls. Um, and we lost that face-to-face -face connection and that direct conversation. And there's this one individual that I was used to talking to verbally and they became very argumentative because I would say I'd send out a communication and then I would get a snippet back. There was none of the, hi, how are you today? It was just, blah. <laughs> you know, and it became across attacking of like, well, why would you say that? Why would you do that? And, you know, this went on for like a couple of weeks and I, I tried to clarify it. You know, I'd script emails back and I tried to be succinct in my response. And then, you know, and I did end up saying to Jesus, like, you know, how do I handle this? This is causing me frustration. It's causing me stress. And God said to me, have you looked at it from their perspective? And I thought back and went. And then I, I went and, and looked at the communications and then went, this person was just trying to gain clarity. They were trying to seek more information. They weren't attacking. They were just trying to clarify. And, and from that point forward, that relationship was fixed because I was now looking at it from the, oh, okay, they just want more information. And I changed my responses and it softened the relationship. So... But it was very clear from God to say, yeah, you're, you're looking at it from your own point of view and not the other person's. So. You have another one? I, no, I, remem you got I remembered my story. <laughs> um, I remember one time in one church that there was some especially difficult things going on in the church. And I felt, got to get this thing straightened out. Got to get them straightened out. Because they are the ones who are causing all the problems. And I, I can still picture, I, was, I came down our stairs, was headed toward the office. And I believe my wife may have worded the, the, worded the words. I'm not sure of that, but I think she did. Uh, but I remember hearing very distinctly, you are being critical. And I felt like arguing right at the moment. I'm not critical. And the more I thought about it, the more I listened to the Holy Spirit. I had a critical spirit that I had to deal with. 
inside. And it was, it was a tremendous release to know that he could release me from this awful spirit that I had. That's good. I want to reread um, from Romans 12, just two verses, and it says, Never pay back evil with more evil. In other words, when you're in conflict, bringing more evil or more conflict into the conflict is not helpful. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you are honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. That's a hard thing to do sometimes. I wonder if each of you might be able to give a little bit of perspective on how we live in peace with maybe it's family and friends, um, maybe it's a coworker, maybe it's a co-laborer in ministry, or uh, even maybe even with our own kids. How can we live in peace with with everyone, um, even when we disagree? What are some of those ways? Um, so I'll, I'll mention two things. One is that acceptance of differentiation I mentioned before. Um, and a second is an appreciation, um, starting with gratitude. God, thank you for this person that you've brought into my life to enrich the things in it. Um, because sometimes the, the most helpful thing we can do when we get into that contemptuous, critical uh, mindset is, um, what would life be like without this person? To bring us back to um, what we actually have, um, because we, we have minds that will focus intently on what is not there, and we're very easily um, forgetting what is. Dealer's choice. Going through some conflicts I have, I have to admit that part of the major problem was me. And this is what 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 8 through 17 says. I'm not sure I'm going to read it all, but finally all of you have unity of mind sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart that you mentioned, Julie, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. And there's even more there. But I would say, I remember going through, again, another major struggle with what I saw was going on. And... Um, this, these verses became 
something that uh, I must confess I prayed over and over and over again. And I remember arguing with God. So I had a conflict with him. How in the world can I bless this person when they're doing this kind of stuff to me and to the church? And I got to the point where it says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. I was doing evil by responding the way I was responding. And, and I cried out to God and said, Lord, I want, I want to be blessed by you. I don't want to be cursed by you. I want to be a blessing. And I think that pulled me out of the, some of the critical stuff that I was talking about and uh, gave me a, a, such a sense of peace, even though the outward circumstance hadn't changed. Can you, can you read the beginning of that again, where it talks about some specificity about who we are to be in those times? You mean finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. I think time and time again, my wife is smart enough to remind me that gentleness is not one of those things, but tender tender heart. I think another translation says gentleness. Gentleness is not one of my <laughs> strong suits, particularly when it comes to my kids. You can agree, right, honey? She won't do it in front of everyone, but she's like, yeah, darn right. Yes, Jason agrees. My boss agrees. Uh, gentleness is just not, is one of those things that I wrestle with, I think, when it comes to, to conflict. And, uh, and of course, when you, I don't bring that bit of gentleness Let's say if I'm talking to one of my children, you, things just escalate from there, right? And so I, my wife will always tell me, like, dude, you got to chill. you got to bring it down a notch. And uh, which is like, oh, yeah, 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 because I'm always telling my four-year-old to bring her volume down a notch. And so I'm just like, yes, okay, it's reciprocal. I get it. I get it. <laughs> um, but it happens. It happens. I want to read from um, Matthew 6 for a moment. So uh, Jesus doles out the Lord's Prayer. And which most of us are familiar with. And uh, last part of that is give us the food we need and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. And then it's immediately followed up by these verses. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. Yikes. And so there's a, there's a common English idiom that we often use, which is forgive and forget. Just forgive and forget. So we know that forgiveness is a biblical commandment for us. What about forgetting? Is, is, that, is that part of it biblically for us? Like, is forgive and forget, are they... Do they are they mutually exclusive? Do they come hand in hand? Or is it easier to do one than the other? What do you guys think in kind of your various perspectives? Um, I, I would say forgetting is not possible. I think our 
our experiences in our life, our memories make us who we are, and we learn from them and we grow from them. So if we were to just be able to, you know, God could magically remove all of those things, we would be doomed to repeat them. Um, and I think remembering is important because, again, it is a life experience. But true forgiveness is that but I can move on from it, and I'm going to let the relationship um, go forward despite the, the occurrence, right? I think it starts with that removal of the ego, removal of self, and saying it's not about me, it's about what is better for the relationship. Is it more important for me to win than it is for me to say, yes, I've forgiven you, and we can move on together? That's my point of view, I think. Yeah, it's, it's impossible to forget, I guess, is my point of view. Yeah, I'll have clients come to me and say, Julia, I can't do forgiveness. When the person comes up in my mind, I have that feeling again. I have rage toward them. I, you know. Um, and so I came across this um, distinction. Um, and if it uh, doesn't fit doctrine, please let me know. I think it does. So, um, but <clears throat> that there's a difference between decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness, that God mandates us to make a decision to forgive, to release judgment that's not mine to judge the person, release him to, or her to God, and um, <clears throat> do the cognitive work, um, pray for them, um, remind self that, um, you know, I can set boundaries around the person and do things to keep myself safe, for example. Um, and But emotional forgiveness, as Kyle was alluding to, is um, the, the inability to forget and erase our neural networks. <laughs> like, we just can't do that. Um, and, I, you know, God is aware how he built us. Um, so we will <clears throat> always have that um, within us. Um, but with this, uh, one of the clients I've been working with, I got her permission to share a little bit um, about her story. She doesn't live around here, don't worry. Um, that um, there were people in her church that she felt harmed by. And um, so we, we distinguished between decisional forgiveness and emotional forgiveness, and that brought some relief to her. Um, because she was feeling some shame about not being able to release emotions when um, associations around the situation came up. Um, and I told her, but we can do some emotional and trauma processing um, so that you are more integrated, so that um, you have access to perhaps some empathy for the person even. Um, so we've been doing work, and she's been praying for the person as in um, the scripture you mentioned Pray that, pray that God would bless them. She was specifically praying for their hearts um, to, and minds to be open, to empathize with her position. And so she gave me um, some good news. She said, I have great news. Um, this was the other week. I had fellowship with this person I didn't think I could be in the same room with and not feel rage and I didn't and we talked about things and we um, you know they're not in, in a restored place but you know they are on their way to being each other's lives again so yeah I think there's a difference between forgiveness and trusting person I think sometimes we think 
that if we forgive them, they'll be different. But the issue is, I think for them, is you can trust them to be the same way as they were before. Not that necessarily different. It is my releasing them for the wrong they did to me that changes my mind, not necessarily about what was done, but it changes it so that I can have a, an attitude and a spirit toward them. In one situation, I think about it, actually, the Lord actually had them move away. <laughs> what do you do with that? Well, I'd, just, I'd love to make a suggestion of a few of you guys move away. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. Well, in your, in, your, in your profession or in your perspective, what actually is worth fighting for? Like, what, what, what actually are the things that are worth fighting for? Politics, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, of course, I'm going to say our minds <laughs> are worth fighting for, rooting out strongholds and lies that we've come to believe along the way and unburdening ourselves from those so that we can have a mind more like Christ, uh, um, that we have accuracy in our thinking. I guess I'd say relationship, uh, first and foremost. I think we have opportunity every day to be in relationship with anyone um, and and in that, we can choose to, uh, uh, like I said in Philippians, do not it out of selfish ambition, but consider the other person first. And I think if we always have a mindset as we presume that people have good intentions, that people are going to do the right thing, I think it frees us up to have good relationship. And I think that's something worth fighting for every day. It's funny, when I was thinking about this when Jamie sent the questions, and like in the grocery store, we're in relationship with someone when you know we're in lineup for the the groceries, and someone cuts in line in front of us and starts loading stuff on the belt. We've now entered into a relationship with that person, right? Whether we want to or not. And we can choose to respond in one of two ways. We can choose to say, I presume that that person did so maliciously and they did it on purpose. Or I can say, maybe they didn't see me. Maybe they had their headphones in. Maybe they were looking at their phone and, and look at, maybe they had good intentions and it wasn't malicious. And it frees myself up to be, well, I, I I don't need to get worked up or stressed out, and I can have good relationship despite things that happen because of it. So, um, how how do we live with unresolved conflict if relational restoration isn't possible? Like I think of I think of the story uh, that, that Julia had in John four earlier, or not John four. Um, it, where was the Adulterous woman. Where was that again? John eight. 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 Um, where he writes the, you know, the the line in the sand, and she said, "Well, that's interesting." And I immediately thought, like, there's a lot of us who have been in conflict who probably want to use our finger for something. Um, and so there was a time where I was in a ministry ministry um, conflict myself, and I certainly had those thoughts at time. Okay, like, don't lie. You have to stop giggling, kids. And, uh, and so what I, I, I realized, and I think Catherine and I did, there were, there were some people in that situation where we knew that we weren't going to come to relational restoration. 
um, and that there was still unresolved conflict. Yet I, I had to make a move this summer. We were uh, back home visiting in New Brunswick, and I decided that I was going to go to my former church. And I, I just, it was just me and the boys. Catherine was back home with COVID, I think. <laughs> so my boys and I, we got out of the house and uh, went to this. And I was walking on the way in and thinking, like, I hadn't been there in, I think, two or three years. And uh, my oldest son looks at me and said, are you going to be okay, Dad? And it was just a really easy question. And I thought, I'm not sure. But I know that there are going to be relationships that aren't going to be resolved. However, I need to make the step to make sure that I both forgive and do my darndest to forget. And I went in and had a great service. And uh, my sons were like, good job, Dad. And I was like, good. I kept my finger in my pocket. <laughs> so how do we live with unresolved conflict if, if we feel like relational restoration is impossible? Or do we just figure it out as we go? I, have, I think we have to focus on something different. I think the problem is sometimes we get so focused on that other person that we miss who we are to be. Oops, lost it. And so, therefore, I think in my mind, if, you, if I dare say it this way, I compartmentalize who I am. I've got to see I'm different than the way they are. And I also have to recognize that I have to work on me. I cannot change somebody else. I can't make them do anything. But with God's help, I can change my spirit with God's help. And sometimes it's a major struggle to get there. Fighting, if you will, with God and what he is saying to me to be different. Yeah, I think getting to that point where move past that, that conflict, I think it all starts with self. Like all I can do, all I can control, kind of like Hank said, is what, how I respond to it, how I feel about it, how I'm influenced by it. I can't control the other person. So, and there are times in conflict where the other person is either not self-aware or they don't want to resolve it. And I can choose to stay there and stay angry and resentful. Or I can say, I'm choosing to move on past it and I'm going to get healthy for myself. The other person can continue doing whatever they're doing. Because there are times in conflict where the other person has moved on and they've forgotten about it, but I'm potentially still consumed by it. I need, I need to release that for myself. Um, and that's the only thing I can control. So. Yeah, in the counseling room, um, when there's individuals who are either de deceased or um, we don't have... Uh, access to them anymore. Um, there are, as I've alluded to, emotional and trauma processing work that we can do. Um, and um, sometimes in prayer, that looks like, you know, holding um, those intense feelings out and um, imagining Jesus holding them with us and caring for them so that they don't have to... Um, be such um, an overwhelming um, 
part inside of us. Mm-hmm. Good. Finally, what, in, in your perspective or your vocations, what, what does healthy conflict look like? What does healthy conflict look like? I feel like it was in our conversations in different places all over the place, but if you had to we summarized what we believed conflict was, and now I'd love just to bookend with what we feel healthy conflict is. Well, I think uh, there's two sides. So on the team base, within a team, healthy conflict helps us grow. If we all have a similar mindset and we're not willing to debate, we're never going to improve. So there has to be a trust there. There has to be kind of ground rules for the group to say, this is how we're going to engage, and we're not going to do it from a point of offense. We're not going to do it from a point of ego. We're going to remove the ego from the room and grow together and not be afraid to ask those challenging questions. And I think very similar from an individual point of view as, as a self, I view conflict as an opportunity to learn from and grow. And if I always have that mindset, I'm, I'm going to continuously improve. And, and I'll get better each time. It's like a muscle that will, will grow over time. So that's, I guess, my perspective. Yeah, that it's a healthy exchange of information. How can I be part of the information flow here? I'm in my sense of I, in my, these are my thoughts and feelings and experiences and where I've, how I've landed here. And remove self from an agenda um, that I have to win, that it has to be this way, um, and sort through and process um, why that might potentially be getting in the way. So is there an ideology that I'm very threatened by if um, things start to pick away at that, that is threatening for me? Um, so I'll be mindful of that and, and aware. Um, yeah, and, and being playful with it, I think, is, is helpful, right? Like engaging in, in playful um, exchange of information and dialogue and um, helps us develop the distress tolerance to do conflict. Um, and just another cultural remark, we, we are becoming um, uh, more distressed by conflict um, by the day. <laughs> so um, it's something to practice, and it's healthy, so... <laughs> I think one of the things for me is, is um, how do I grow from this? And if I see conflict as a way that God can help me grow, that helps my perspective to be more healthy. And I think that's as far as I'll go with that at this point. That's good. Um, last thing we want to do is uh, give you, give us um, an opportunity to um, respond to maybe some of these things and maybe what God's word and through these various perspectives have, may have said or um, maybe what one of our panelists have said. And we'd just love to go into uh, a prayer time for us. And I don't know how it's going to work, so I'm going to make it up as we go. But I would love for uh, maybe our three panelists to, to pair up with maybe a staff member who's here or a board member who is here, and maybe just make three or four little pockets, um, maybe even some of our ministerial students, whatever, some little pockets around the room. And uh, if, if you have, if Holy Spirit is um, maybe saying something to you like it did to Hanny, you know, a few times during his ministry, and you've got maybe a conflict that you have in your mind that's been boiling up this entire time, or whether it's relational or spiritual, 
for, familial, whatever the, the case may be, um, maybe just come to, to one of these pockets. I'll just dismiss you guys to, to kind of go do that now, and I'll get